And we're rolling. Okay. Good morning once again. Uh, I was maybe 18 or 19 years old. Uh, so it was my first or second year in college. And uh, it was summertime. My, my friends were back from college. And so we spent a, a good bit of the, the summer nights together. And, and back then, by and large, we were good kids. You know, we, we weren't crazy uh, kids. We, we, uh, we didn't get into much trouble, nothing terribly serious. But because we were college kids, that also meant that we didn't have much money. Uh, so when we get together, sometimes we do just that. We just get together and, and hang out and, and do nothing. And sometimes nothing is a, uh, um, you know, the, the first step in getting into trouble. So sometimes we literally couldn't think of anything to do. We couldn't think of anything to do. We would just drive around the town. We would just drive around the town and uh, we wouldn't be heading in any one particular direction or place, but we'd drive around. It wasn't cruising. You know, I know that people consider it cruising that, you know, they'd go up and down one central uh, strip of the, of, the, of the town. It wasn't quite like that. We were just going different parts of town to see who we might encounter, what fun things, places, and people we might meet up with, right? And there was one evening in particular, I remember it was my friend Jason and, and my, uh, my friend John. We were driving around and encountered a group of kids who were also just driving around. Uh, we didn't know who they were, uh, but they were heading towards us and we were heading towards them. Uh, they were in a convertible. So uh, we were able to get a good look at them. We, we didn't wave to each other or anything. They passed us by and they, they, I noted that they had this sort of mischievous or mischievous, depending on where you're from, mischievous look in their eyes. And, uh, and once they passed us and got a little distant between us, I then turned around to get another look at them, and when, and when I did that, suddenly I saw something light up and a spark and then a shrieking sound, okay? It was fireworks. They launched, you know, these were called bottle rockets. I don't know if they still call them that. They launched bottle rockets at us from the open convertible. And, uh, and to tell you the truth, um, they didn't come that close to us. It's not like we were terribly threatened. They, they shot them with the intent to scare us, I'm sure, and we didn't even scare us that much, right? Uh, uh, they were young, you know, and we were young. We were testosterone-filled teenagers, and, uh, and to us, what was this? This was shots fired, you know? It was a declaration of war, if you will. Now, it wasn't a very big town where I lived. Uh, I mean, it was just outside of Atlanta. Atlanta was huge, but uh, the, the suburb that we lived in, it was, you know, we were all pretty familiar with the area. Uh, we weren't able to just make a U-turn and chase after them. And even if we could, what would, it, what would we have done? Fight them, you know, or run after them and try and uh, get into a fight? No, we weren't that type of a, uh, of a group, but, but uh, we just couldn't let them get away with what they were doing. We just couldn't, you know, say, oh, well, right? As I'm seeing, seeing my kids look at me now, yeah, dad, what did you do? What did we do? First, we went... <laughs> We went to a nearby store and we bought a large carton of eggs. We decided we were going to go back and found, uh, find them with our newly acquired eggs. And uh, once we found them, our plan wasn't to offer to make them an omelet. But there was one limitation that faced us. You see, uh, they had a convertible, which allowed them to launch their fireworks from just about any direction, 360 degrees. Our, we had a car. We had a car which was difficult to launch uh, uh, eggs with a needed trajectory out of an open window. So what would we do? Well, my dad owned a truck, okay? A truck would work. One driver and two friends in the back of the truck with an arsenal of chicken eggs. <laughs> But here's the thing, I couldn't just ask my dad, hey dad, can I borrow your truck? Why couldn't I ask him that? Because first of all, he and my mom were already asleep at this hour. But more importantly, if I asked him to borrow his truck, his next, next question would be, why? Why you need my truck, right? So instead, I, uh, uh, <laughs> we decided to uh, steal his truck. I quietly went inside, 
got the keys, unlocked the truck, and then my friends and I decided to quietly try and roll the truck out of the driveway without starting the truck. Very clever, right? Well, before we made it to the end of the driveway, suddenly the floodlights come on, right? Apparently our stealth mode wasn't stealthy enough. And my dad comes out, taking his time, walking towards us and says, hey guys, what you up to? Oh, nothing, we, uh, we just didn't wanna wake you. He takes a look in the back of the truck and sees a large crate of eggs and he asks, whose eggs are those? Not knowing what to say, I looked at my friend Jason. I said, they're Jason's eggs. <laughs> Later on, my friend asked me, why Jason's eggs? Why did that have to be Jason? Because my dad would know they're not my eggs, you know? So at this point, my dad looks at us and he says, uh, you know, he has this look. He doesn't say anything. He's just looking at us. But his look says something to the effect of, who do you think you're fooling, you know? He's looking at us but not saying anything. And then he says, okay turns around and walks back into the house, all right? Now, I'm gonna tell you, that's not where the story ends. But, <laughs> but let's pretend for a moment, let's pretend for a moment that that is where the story ends, okay? Let's just say at that point, we decided to put the truck back and we put the eggs away in the refrigerator and we just decided to go play basketball in the driveway. Let's just say that that's what happens, okay? Here, here's what I wanna ask you. Did my friends and I, commit any sin in this account? Did my friends and I commit any sin in this account? And, our, and one of my youngest friends here is raising his hand. What, what do you say, sir? Do you think I committed a sin in this account? Stealing is a sin, yes. <laughs> he says, uh, how, how old are you now? How old is he? Six. He's six years old. He said, stealing is a sin, and I think with the eggs you mean harm. All right. And I was going to say this, and before you answer, I'd like to explain that technically, technically, technically we didn't steal the truck. It was my dad's, and he allowed me to use the truck, okay? And we just didn't want to wake him. We just didn't want to wake him up. And technically, technically, technically we didn't lie. I told the truth. I didn't want to wake him. That's why we were rolling it out. I didn't want to wake him. And technically there's no reason that we couldn't say my friend Jason didn't own the egg. So with that knowledge in mind, uh, did my friend, with that information, did my friend and I sin? How so? Did we sin? I know you still say yes. That's still your vote. Yes. Okay. And you say your, your vote is yes. All right. Anyone else? Does anyone want to absolve me here and say, no, 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 no. You, you didn't, you didn't do anything wrong. Anyone online want to try and get me off the hook here? Nope. <laughs> okay. Borrowing without asking. That's, that's uh, well, you know, but again, my dad let, let me have some, some room for that. It's not just the actions. It's the intent of my heart, man. That's a, Oh, that one hurts, man. <laughs> If I'm trying to make a case here for the fact that I didn't sin, I'm losing, and I'm losing badly. All right, so, so we're in a series right now. We're in a series called One Thing, and the objective in this study is to give you one simple question with one simple answer, and the, the simple question here isn't, did, did you sin? Uh, but uh, hopefully I can provide you with a relatively simple answer with what I'm going, going with this. Most of the time, I, I try and give you the simple answer first, and then, then we, we, we pick that part, that answer apart, uh, and dissect it. So our question today is relevant to the story I just told. I was asking you if I had sinned or, or how I had sinned, and the truth is, here's the truth. Sometimes our answer to questions like I just asked reveal this. Our, our perception and understanding of what sin is sometimes rests on a sliding scale. 
You know what I mean? Uh, is it sin? Well, well, no, you didn't technically do anything wrong, right? Uh, we probably say or, or think that more often than we care to admit. Is this a lie? Well, no, it's the truth from a certain point of view. That's a quote from Star Wars, by the way, you Star Wars bus, okay? Uh, so, so let's ask our one thing question and then I'm gonna, and then I'm gonna uh, give you a simple answer. Here's our one thing question here. I'm gonna share our screen for our folks online. Our one thing question is, here where are we here we go whoop what is sin what is sin now here's how the westminster Con shorter catechism westminster shorter westminster confession of faith the shorter catechism here's how it answers this question i also might remind you the westminster shorter catechism are questions that were originally composed for children okay for children to learn theology so let's see what the children's answer to this question is what is sin sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. So there you go. That's the simple answer. That's the simple answer right, for children. Now, don't feel bad if you, if you don't understand this children's answer uh, and, and think to yourself, I, I'm not sure I still know what that means. Okay, that's okay. They spoke a bit more academically back then, right? Uh, and and, and uh, in particular, we don't use the word want. We don't use the word want uh, like this anymore. We tend to use the word want synonymously with the word desire, right? We use it as a verb. I want a piece of pizza and that's all well and good, okay? Uh, this uses the word want as a noun, Okay, as a noun, and it's synonymous with the word lack, to lack something. Okay, think of the 23rd Psalm. Did, did that ever confuse you? I remember when I was your age, I was confused by the 23rd Psalm because it said, what did it say? It said this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What? <laughs> did that confuse anyone else or is it just me? When you were, when you were young, you learned this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? Uh, remember our lesson about the semicolon a few weeks ago. We have a semicolon right in the middle of the phrase here. These are two independent clauses that could exist as sentences by themselves, but the, the writer is trying to link them together to say that these thoughts are, are, are related, okay? The second clause here is a complete thought on its own. It says, I shall not want. So when I was a kid, I would get so confused because I would read it as all just one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why don't I want the Lord? This is so confusing, I would think to myself, right? What's actually being said here? The Lord is my, sh my shepherd. Next sentiment. I shall not want. I shall not lack. I shall not lack anything. So, and if you read the rest of that 23rd Psalm, it, it, it goes on to tell you why you aren't in need of anything, why you are not lacking anything, because he comforts you. He, he pours his, his oil over your head and your cup runneth over and he leads you through the valley of the shadow of death. Therefore, you don't lack anything. He gives you everything you need, right? So what is sin? Let's go back to that definition. Sin, we'll substitute the word here, is any lack of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God, okay? So, so that helps up clear up a little bit, just a little bit. Let's see if we can clear it up even further. And to do that, we're gonna need to back up just a little bit. Actually, we're gonna need to back up a lot because we're gonna go all the way back to the very, very beginning. Because to really understand what sin is, you have, to, you have to understand something of the nature of the, the very first sin. Because what this, what this statement is saying is that not conforming or transgressing against the law of God is sin. Okay? So when I say the law of God, what, what comes to your mind? Maybe you think of, of the Ten Commandments. Maybe you think of Moses and the law that you'll find all through the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, right? 
But remember, we're, we're trying to define sin, and sin occurred before there was the law at Sinai. This sin occurred before Moses had the Ten Commandments, right? And, and, uh, and you might think, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How is it possible to break the law before there was a law? But Paul tells us in Romans 2, right? that the law of God is written. It's written on our hearts, okay? But even beyond that, in the garden, God along with Adam, God along with Adam entered into a covenant. They entered into a covenant, a covenant which we would refer to as, we don't talk about this as much and even in uh, uh, the reform circles that we, we, we uh, worship in, but it's a covenant of works. So there's a covenant of works? Yes, there's a covenant of works. First of all, let's talk about what a covenant is. A covenant is usually an agreement between two parties, okay? For example, my family and I, we live in a neighborhood. And in that neighborhood, when we bought the house uh, that we're living in, we signed a neighborhood covenant, which is essentially an agreement between all the people who live in the neighborhood. We all signed it, swearing that this is what we would do as members of the neighborhood. We agreed between all of us on many things, such as none of us will put up a chain link fence, None of us will put up a chain link fence in our front or backyards. That is part of the covenant, okay? None of us are able to add a detached building anywhere on our property. If I can add on to the, I can add on to my house, but I cannot add a detached building anywhere onto the property. None of us can arbitrarily change the color of our home. It must first be approved by the board of directors, okay? Now, why on earth? Why on earth would we do this? Why would we agree to restrict our behavior like this? Because of the benefits that you receive from the covenant, okay? If my neighbor just up and decides to open up a petting zoo in his front yard, would I want that? No, I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want a petting zoo right there because of all the, the sounds and smells that might assault me and might bring down the value of my home because he decides to open up a petting zoo, right? I'm protected by the covenant in that regard. I receive a benefit from the covenant. If I observe all the words of the covenant, I receive all the benefits of the covenant. On the other hand, if I do not observe all the words of the covenant, I will not receive or be under the protection of the covenant. If I decide tomorrow to put a swimming pool in my front yard, an above ground swimming pool in my front yard, <laughs> wouldn't that be a great sight? It'd be fun. I would invite you all over. We could come come uh, swim at my house in the front yard, but I would be out of compliance. I'd be out of compliance with the covenant and I would be facing a penalty enforced by the courts of the land, okay? I would be breaking the law of the covenant. So when God created man, right? He created them in a state of innocence. He was made in God's true image, in knowledge, righteous, and, and holiness. And in that state in which he was created, God put Adam and Eve, he set before them two alternatives. On the one hand, he gave them a path of perfect obedience, uh, and, and that path would lead them to eternal life. But on the other hand, right? On the other hand, there was a path of disobedience. Either follow the law of the covenant or break the law of the covenant. And here's what he told Adam uh, in Genesis 2, 16 to 17. He says this, And the, the Lord God commanded man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but on, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, uh, eat of it, you shall, sh uh, can't talk. You shall surely die. Okay. So, so those are the two paths that are set before them. This was the covenant. 
it boiled down to this. If you do this, if you obey, if you obey all the words that I've set before you, the law, you will receive the protection of the covenant. You'll receive eternal life. Okay. If you don't observe my words that have been set before you, you are subject to the decision of the court, as it were, right? And that court is the justice of the Lord God who said, you shall surely die. That's the negative effect of not keeping the covenant, of not keeping the law. Okay. Now, it's usually at this point when we're talking about the covenant, this covenant of, of works, where someone asks, well, yes, I see that there were two paths set before them. Obedience, disobedience, right? Would it have been possible for them to perfectly obey the terms of the covenant? Would that have even been possible? Could they really have lived long enough to make uh, good on the path A of the covenant, right? And to that I say, Adam and Eve had the liberty, Adam and Eve had the liberty to choose either path, meaning that no one was forcing them to choose a path and they had the ability to choose either of those paths. God created them. God created them with the power to do good or evil. And what did they do? They acted according to their greatest desire. Okay, Jonathan Edwards talked about this in his book. Uh, it was entitled Freedom of the Will. And in that book, uh, he had what is described as Edward's Law of Choice, where he states, the will always chooses according to its greatest inclination at the moment. And what that means in a nutshell is that every, every choice you make, every choice you make is free and determined. Every choice you make is free and determined. Now, at first pass, that might sound like a contradiction. How can your decisions be both free and determined. When we say determined, it doesn't mean that there's some external force that coerces the will. He's referring to your internal motivations or desires. You freely make choices determined by your internal motivations. Think about it. Okay, think about it. When you pick the seat that you sat in today, when you pick the seat that you sat in today, you freely chose where you would sit. Okay? But think about all the factors that went in to choosing the seat that you picked. Maybe it was the only one open, which is not the case. <laughs> That's what I have in my notes here. Let's just pretend it's a packed room. Maybe it was the only one open, right? Uh, and you decide you'd rather sit than stand. There's an internal motivation there. Maybe there was someone specifically you wanted to sit near. Maybe there was someone you wanted to specifically sit far from, right? Uh, maybe it has something to do with eyesight or your shyness. And again, may maybe you think that where you sat, you just sat for no apparent reason, but the seat you chose will always be guided by your strongest inclination that you have at the moment. This seat is free and I don't like to walk. So I'm going to sit here rather than continue the tireless chore of looking for a seat. Now, some of you might even object further and say, I didn't sit where I wanted to sit. I sat because my spouse made me sit here right? But you, st you still made a free and determined choice. You freely sat where you sat because you chose the idea that it's easier to just go along with your spouse than cause a scene arguing about where to sit, right? You simply chose between where you wanted to sit and whether or not you wanted to fight about it with your spouse <laughs> right here in the middle of the uh, event center, right? You chose your seat because you, you didn't want to fight about it. It was still your choice to do so guided by your instincts and desires. So again, just, just as Adam and Eve did, 
Okay, you, you freely make choices that are determined by your greatest internal motivations all the time. So Adam and Eve had the freedom and the liberty, the freedom or, or the liberty, it's synonymous, the freedom, liber, the freedom, they have the freedom, they have the liberty, okay, to choose their, their either path, the ability to choose either path, and therefore they chose according to their greatest desire at the moment, and that desire was to what? To be like God. They, they thought that they could be like God. They, they decided, I would like to be God rather than you be God, God, right? They took the path of disobedience. They chose to transgress against the law. They chose something that God expressly told them not to do. They broke the law. So insofar as our original definition goes, right? They chose to transgress. The original definition affirms one point. This affirms one portion of our statement. Let's look at it one more time. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression against the law. This is, this is an either or statement. Sin is a lack of conformity or a transgression against the law of God. Adam and Eve, in this instance, when they ate of the fruit of the tree, when they acted according to their greatest desire, did something that God expressly told them not to do. They committed a transgression against the law. And this, my friends, that's sin. When you transgress against the law, okay? Now, let me take you back to the story that we started with. Did I steal the truck? For a moment, let me just say, no, I did not. Did I lie about what I was doing with the truck? I made no false statements. It is 100% true we were rolling the truck out of the driveway because I did not want to wake my parents. That was 100% true. But here's the problem. I'm only considering the second half of this definition of sin. I'm not considering the first half where it says any want or lack of conformity under the law. So what does that mean? When we think of sin, we tend to think of sins of commission, we say. Sins of commission. Acts that we commit. If I steal my dad's truck, I've committed a sin against the law of God. Commandment eight, you shall not steal. Okay, I've committed a transgression of the law. When my dad came out and asked us what we were doing, if I said, well, for some reason we had trouble starting the truck, we thought we'd roll it just because it had a clutch. Remember, you used to be able to start the, the vehicles this way by popping the clutch. We decided to roll it down the hill to see if it would start that way. That would be a lie, okay? I would be committing a sin against the law of God. Commandment nine, you shall not tell a lie. So when I commit an infraction against the law, I am committing a sin of commission. Okay? I'm making a transgression of the law. 1 John 3, 4 tells us. I'm going to show you two different versions of this one. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Listen to how it says in the, in the King James Version. This helps us out too, especially as we read the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which was written sort of in this style too. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. Okay? But look at our definition one more time. Okay? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law. The first half of the statement, any want or lack of conformity unto the law, this refers to sins of omission. Not commission, sins of omission. Do you know what it means to omit something? What happens when we omit something? We're leaving it out. 
We're leaving it out. We're, uh, it's, not, it's not necessarily that we are committing an act of sin. It's that you're engaging. It's not that you're engaging in a bad behavior. It's that you're neglecting to do something that is expected of you. All right. So when we have a duty to perform according to the requirement of the law and do not perform that duty, we lack conformity to it. We're guilty because we have not done which God requires of us to do. So for instance, if I uh, do not worship God and decide to not keep the Sabbath day holy, and instead of doing those things, I just sit at home and literally do nothing. If I just, I'm not committing any acts. I'm just sitting at home and I'm doing nothing. All right. Have I actively committed a bad act? No. But instead, I've necked to do something that the law of God requires of me. Okay. It's not necessarily that I did something bad, but I didn't do what was required of me. Okay. So going back to the, the truck story, to meet my friends and, and, and not stealing the truck and not lying about stealing the truck. Though I may not have technically stole my dad's truck, though I may not have technically lied about what, was, what we were doing, rolling the truck out of the driveway, what is it that I failed to do? What am I, what am I neglecting here? <laughs> Loving your neighbor, which is the sum total of that second tablet of the law. What's more specific? Remember what's commandment five? Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother for one, okay? Could I say that my behavior in that moment, the intent in my heart, which is what our young friend up here told us a moment ago, was honoring to my father? No, it was not. Am I at that point lacking in conformity to the law? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And on top of that, though I may not technically be telling my dad a lie, if I'm, if I'm leaving out the truth, if I'm not telling the whole truth, and not being forthright, am I lacking conformity under the law? Yes, I am. You could even argue that, that it's just a lie. I'm lying. I'm lying. I'm transgressing against the law, but not telling the whole truth, omitting any portion of the truth. And now I'm doing something that is required of me. Okay. Listen to this. This is a real gut puncher here. This is uh, James 4.17. You know this verse? So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. So this is not just doing something bad. It's not doing the right thing. James calls that sin. Or, or how about this, Micah 6, 8, right? I'm sure you've memorized this as a, uh, in your life, right? He has shown you, or he's told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. You see what this verse is saying? This verse isn't saying, here's a bunch of things that you shouldn't do. This verse is saying, here's what's required of you. Here's what the law of God tells you to do. You are required to do justice, to love kindness and walk humbly with your God. And if you omit doing those things, right? If you don't do them, the Bible calls that sin. God's, God's law isn't just a bunch of, of requirements or things that you aren't supposed to do. It, it, it has that, it is that, but it's also a bunch of things that you are to do. Not only are you not supposed to be bad, but you're also to actively be good too, all right? And so here's where this takes us. I'm gonna, I'm gonna land the plane here. Here's where this takes us, uh, leading into Holy Week, um, leading into Easter, 
if you've ever wondered why Jesus, and I've, I've talked to you about this before, if you ever wonder why Jesus didn't show up on, on Good Friday, why didn't you show up as the Son of God on Good Friday, as the perfect sinless Lamb of God, and then was crucified hours later, it's because God requires more than just sinlessness. God requires more than just sinlessness. God's definition of the perfect sacrifice making atonement for your sin requires that it be more than someone who just has never committed any transgressions, more than someone who's never committed any sins of commission. God's definition of a perfect sacrifice also requires that the sacrifice be righteous too, sinless and righteous, all right? He didn't just show up on Good Friday as a sinless lamb because not only did he have to die for your sins, and this is what you I know you've heard me say this before, not only did he have to die for your sins, but he had to live for your righteousness. Jesus had to die for your sins and live for your righteousness. So for his whole life, so for, his, for the entirety of Jesus's life leading up to his crucifixion, he not only had to not murder, not commit adultery, not steal, not lie, not covet, but he had to honor God and only uh, only, uh, and, and actively, actively worship God in righteousness. Okay. So ultimately this is where our definition of, of sin pushes us. It pushes us to understand that not only do we have to not actively be bad, but we have to actively be good too. Because think about it. This is what Jesus did. He was sinless and righteous. And that record, that record that he has, that Jesus has, is what he applied to you. He applied sinlessness and righteousness to you, okay? And this is what the Holy Spirit is transforming us into day by day, someone who pursues sinlessness and righteousness. Now, let me just stop there and see if you have any other thoughts, comments, or questions uh, uh, as, we, as we finish up here. Anybody have any thoughts, comments, questions? We get it? Do you understand? Not just sinlessness, but righteousness too. Okay, not just sins of commission that gets us in trouble, but sins of omission, all right? Not doing the things that we're supposed to do. Make sense? Anybody online or in person? Yes, Jan. Jesus, okay. Okay, remember what we're saying here. That again, going back to Micah 6, 8, he's shown you what is required of you, you know, but to do justice, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. These are things that are not just sins of commission, things that you committed, but this is active righteousness. And so that's why Jesus, that's why he didn't show up on Good Friday. He had to live a life of righteousness and he had to fulfill every aspect, every component of the law, both not committing sins of commission and also sins of omission so that that record to be sinless and righteous could be applied to you. Because again, if he was just if he just showed up and said, I'm the perfect lamb, okay, you would be sinless. Your sins would be forgiven. But God requires sinlessness and righteousness. So we had to die for your sin, live for your righteousness too. Make sense? A little more clear? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. 
that was uh, 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 Holly telling us that Jesus, I'm telling, I have to repeat this for the folks online, Jesus from zero to 33 was living out his righteousness. And this is what she uh, recently heard from Paige Brown. And so Paige Brown and I agree. So <laughs> in, this, in this point, yeah, <laughs> that uh, yes, zero, I mean, he was living for your righteousness. And that's why, you, you know, you may not hear much about it, but again, you don't hear much. Of, but again, if he was living for your every. And I always like to, to teach this aspect of it. When, when we see uh, Jesus coming down to the Jordan River, approaching John the Baptist, and what does John the Baptist says? Behold, the Lamb of God. So when he says the Lamb of God, you better believe John knows what he's talking about there. That's a sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And then he comes to John and he says, baptize me. Now, the baptism they were engaging in at that point was a call for the people of Israel to repent. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, he says. And here Jesus is walking into the Jordan River saying, baptize me. And what does John say? Perish the thought. I'm not going to do that. If, if anything, you should baptize me, he says. But why is Jesus doing that? Why is, if Jesus is sinless, why is he standing in the, in, the, in the Jordan River waiting to be baptized? To identify with a sinner. Because if what's required of the sinner is, is, uh, is being baptized, then Jesus is going to fulfill the requirements of that law. If, if what's required of the sinner is to obey the law perfectly, then Jesus is going to obey the law perfectly on your behalf. And that's what he's doing in that moment. He's identifying with the sinner saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fulfill every jot and tittle of the law. Everything that you couldn't do, I'm gonna do it on your behalf. Being sinless and righteous. That's what he's doing. Any, any other thoughts, comments, questions? Yes, sir. I had, I had a feeling this was coming. Question about the truck. Go ahead. What happened? Yep. All right, I'll tell you the rest of the story. Because we didn't just park the truck and go play basketball. If you can believe that. So we were stunned, as you might imagine, that my dad turned around and went in. We were like, so what do we do now? So we went out. We found them. And we threw eggs at them. <laughs> and that was wrong. That was, I was not loving my neighbor in that moment. Now, the, 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 here's the best part of the story is when I came home later that night, again, my dad already been asleep. When I came home, guess who was up? Then he really wanted to know. Once I, see, my dad was being very kind to me. He didn't want to embarrass me in front of my, my friends. And I walked in and he said, you got some, <laughs> why, why did, <laughs> first of all, well, you know, why did you just take my uh, truck to the car wash? And, <laughs> and what were you doing? And then he, I explained the whole thing. And he, and then, you know, we had a long talk about that and, and this whole idea of, listen, and he, my dad even said, you should just told me the truth. You should just told me outright, you know, what you're doing. And I would have probably gone with you, he said. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's the end of the story. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, on that note, let's close in a word of prayer. And then, uh, uh, yeah, I got to get to the sanctuary. I'm, I'm helping with liturgy this morning. So let's pray. Our gracious father, we thank you. We thank you for, um, these moments in life where clearly we fail. As much as we try and backpedal, as much as we try and uh, justify ourselves, uh, Father, we fail. But we thank you, Father, that we are not dependent on being approved by you based on our record, based on our ability to uphold the law, but, but your ability, your son's ability to stand in our place and say, I am going to do all the things that you couldn't do I'm going to do all the things that you, uh, you did anyway that you shouldn't have done. 
I'm not going to do those things. And even more, I'm going to take my record and I'm going to apply it to you so that you can stand before God declared sinless and righteous. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for that miracle. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's for his sake we pray it. Amen. Thank you all. All right. Yes, sir. Are you going to get me in trouble now? <laughs>